So how many of you know who uh, Paul Tripp is? A lot of hands. So he's got um, lots of good teaching on the Bible. Um, he's a counselor. Uh, he's got some good teaching on marriage and parenting. So this teaching on Christian parenting, we went through it years ago um, with our parents here at Bethel. Um, there's some videos that uh, you can access even, even now. I recommend them to you. So there's an illustration that he uses in those videos that explain the importance of authority as far as a parent and their child. So we're going to look at Ephesians 6. We're walking through the book of Ephesians, and we're in the section where it talks about children and parents, okay? So he uses this illustration, and he said that he would use this with his kids when they were younger in order to teach them about authority and obedience and those kinds of things. So I need a couple of volunteers. First, Ben, would you mind coming up here? Um, Since I know you and uh, all right, so let's see. Maybe we'll make it down here. You're not going to be able to see the circle anyway, but I'm drawing a circle on the carpet. <gasps> okay, um, it's just chalk. So here's the circle. I'm going to actually get my notes because I don't want it to go longer than it needs to. So he'd draw this big circle, and you know, he and his wife and his kids would stand in this circle, and he would say that honoring and obeying mom and dad is for their good. Right? So it's a visual picture. The circle was probably bigger, you know, to encompass their whole family. So this is a safe zone. The protection is, and blessing is intended by God for the good of the child. It's one of the means God gives to shape and protect and bless children, the authority that he gives to parents. So then he would say that if one of his kids steps outside of the circle, might fall over, huh, Ben? Um, Disobedience is like saying, you're not my authority. It also says that God is not my authority. I'm my own authority. I'm out here. But the problem is out there is dangerous. It's dangerous for a child. A child is not ready to be out there on his own, her own, until they're ready to be out there on their own. So to say, you're not my authority, is to say, I don't need the protection and the blessing of being in the home and under the authority of my parent or parents. Okay? Protection and provision as well as authority is in here. Prefer to be in here? Okay. Thanks, buddy. Good job. All right. So that's true and helpful, right? But I think we should actually draw another circle. And maybe we can visualize it this way. So let's say this is God, okay? Represented by his word. And I need another willing volunteer, so I'll go to my family again. My lovely wife, Beth, would you mind joining me in the circle here? So imagine God draws this circle around us as parents, okay? And in it, he says, I'm giving you authority in the lives of your kids. But that authority is derivative. It's given by God. Okay? And it's given for a reason. It's given by God and intended to be used in a way that reflects the way that he uses his authority. How does he use his authority? For the good of 
of his children. So when we use the authority God has given, if I use that authority for selfish purposes, if I abuse the authority that God has given me, if I'm passive or lazy and I neglect the authority that God has given me, then I'm misrepresenting God and misrepresenting his authority. If I'm outside the circle, it's dangerous out here for me and it's dangerous for my kids. It's not good for us, it's not good for our children to be outside the circle. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and stay in the circle as parents and as kids. And when we wander out here, we find ourselves outside the circle of God's authority, we need to quickly repent and run back home because this is where it's safe. It's for our good. His authority is for our good. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, when you di are dismissed and you walk past, and maybe you'll remember those circles this week. Um, so our series through the book of Ephesians is entitled In and Under Christ. In Christ and Under Christ. So, the book of Ephesians is all about all the blessings that are ours if we are in Christ, united to him by faith, by the grace of God, okay? But also, it talks a lot about the lordship of Christ. We live under his authority, and we need to take our cues and our marching orders from him. And that extends. Last week, we looked at wives and husbands, this week, children and parents. Next week, slaves and masters, or we could say employees and employers, okay? So let's read Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, and then we'll dive in. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew, and you can find our passage on page 979. So Ephesians 6, verses 1 to to four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And then do you notice the quotes? That promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is quoting Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And then verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So one thing to just note before we go any further is the fact that Paul addresses both children and parents in the letter is something worth considering. Paul assumed that not only adults, but children also, would be gathering together to hear the application of God's word. And how fitting that it happens where they're together under the word. So God doesn't pull the parents aside and tell them their bit. He wants the kids to hear what he says to the adults as well. I think that's worth pondering. So this morning, three points. First, an address to the children. Secondly, Paul addresses the parents, fathers, parents. And then thirdly, we're going to locate this passage between what comes before and what comes afterwards. 
All right, so three points. First point is children obey your, obey and honor your parents or parent, if that's your situation. So Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So kids, all the children in the building. Um, there's this guy, Shai Lin, that's a good preacher, and he says that regularly, and I think he addresses the kids more often than I do, and I think I need to learn from him. Um, so all the children in the building, this is to you. How does this hit your ears? Does it come across as heavy? Well, if so, listen, this is actually, if you had first century ears, this would actually be surprising that you were even addressed. So children were not thought highly of in the first century. John Stott, I have a quote up here, says, it was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in the Roman Empire in which unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as a nuisance. But here, children are addressed. And I think that is recognizing the importance of children. So God is addressing you as the valuable and responsible image bearer that you are. I think this is some of the impact, some of the effect, the influence of the one who said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. So children, Jesus sees you. He's not too busy for you. You matter to Jesus. And in the context of Ephesians, which we'll get to this maybe under the third point, you have a meaningful role to play in pushing back the darkness. And one of the ways you do that is by obeying and honoring your parents. So by doing so, you are refusing to follow the prince of the power of the air, Satan, referred to that way in chapter 2. You want to follow Jesus, who is the real Lord, the good Lord. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. And your obedience to your parents is ultimately obedience to the Lord. It's honoring the Lord. And another thing that's worth considering, Jesus isn't telling you to do anything he didn't do. Do you remember that time Jesus got left behind? You know, his parents went with the caravan, and they must have thought that, you know, auntie so-and-so had him, or uncle so-and-so, or whatever. He's with the cousins. Parents didn't know they left him behind. So it's a few days before they find him. He's in the temple. He's sitting with the teachers. He's listening. He's asking questions. And his mother, Mary, asked him, son, why have you treated us like this? Didn't you know? And Jesus says, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And, you know, they're kind of like not sure what to do with that. And then it says in Luke 2, 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus honored and obeyed his parents. So if you're struggling with that, think about how Jesus can be a sympathetic savior and help to you in that maybe regardless of your age. Because 
A child is a child relationally, regardless of age. And obviously, this text applies differently at different age ranges, but it certainly still has application. I think also, let's not miss the fact that children can obey in the Lord. So children can come to faith and follow the Lord. So kids, you know, many of you have grown up in the church. You've heard this stuff over and over again. Maybe you're bored with it. Maybe, listen, God didn't put you in that family, in your family, and in this church by accident. You can come to Jesus. You can trust him and follow him and be his and he yours. Have you done that? Trust Jesus as your savior. Follow him with your whole heart. You will never regret it. But being half-hearted about it, you know, I'll get serious about it later, or giving your heart to the world and setting God on the shelf, you will regret that either later in life or in eternity. Now, more often than not in the Bible, God doesn't give bald or bare commands. He doesn't command and say, because I said so. You know, do it because I said so. He certainly has the right to do that, and sometimes he does. Doesn't always explain himself. Sometimes it's, you know, later, hindsight is twenty twenty. But he often gives gracious reasons for his commands. He explains why he commands us the way that he does, and he does so here. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. What, what do you mean? Well, it anticipates what's coming, and he points back to the fifth commandment, the fifth of ten. It's right because it's biblical, but the spotlight is ultimately shown on the heart of God in the Old Testament. It's right. It's in accord with God's heart and his wisdom in the ways that he set up this world. So in the Old Testament, this command came with a promise. If you go back and read Exodus 20, 12, you'll see that promise. So what does that mean? Like, okay, honor my father and my mother. It's got a promise. It'll go well with me. I'll live long in the land. In what, America? Like, what does that mean? Does that mean that if, if you're a really obedient child, you're guaranteed to live to 80? Or does it mean that if you look around some of the oldest folks in the room, boy, they must have really been obedient kids. I don't know. Should we ask you, Marion? Were you? Okay. So I love this, this hilarious quote. Russell Moore is currently the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, he offers a lot of wisdom in a lot of categories, whether, you know, politics or music or tough ethical questions or good books to read, etc. I would encourage you, you know, to benefit from his uh, ministry and wisdom. Russell Moore, M-O-O-R-E. But he wrote a book called The Storm-Tossed Family, How the Cross Reshapes the Home. It's a good book. And he writes this about this passage. <laughs> Apart from the gospel, this could seem to be a transaction. Obey your parents and you get to live a long time. In fact, I can remember as a child hearing this text preached just that way. The pastor asked an elderly lady to stand and to give her age. It's a good thing that he mentioned, don't do this to me. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't. No. Okay. Guys all awake. All right. She was quite old. See, he said, Mrs. Flossie here must have really obeyed her parents when she was a child. Look at how old she is now. 
we children knew this woman to be the grouchiest, most curmudgeonly person. This is not you, Marion, at all. So don't anybody connect those dots. Okay. Um, we children knew this woman to be the grouchiest, most curmudgeonly person we knew, the sort of person for whom the general message to us was not Jesus loves you, but you kids get off my lawn. Uh, to emulate her seemed like a death sentence, not a reward. How much do I need to ignore my parents in order to live maybe to middle age, but happy, I thought. So is that what's going on here? No. That promise was the first in the Ten Commandments to be embedded in the command itself. And it was given to the people of Israel tied to the covenantal land promises, right? The ones made to Abraham. So the point was that God was discipling his people for life, for a long and flourishing life in the land. And that was actually the purpose of all the law. It was for their good, right? So in the Old Covenant, there were material, physical promises of blessing tied to obedience to God. And there were material and physical curses and warnings tied to disobedience, right? You can read Deuteronomy 28 and see all these terrible things like the crops are going to go back. So it's in that context that that promise was made. In the New Covenant, we don't have the same promises of the land, at least not in this age. We will inherit the earth in the age to come, right? When all things are made new. But this is not some magical promise that you're going to make it to 100 if you're obedient enough to your parents. Instead, it's a pointer to the character of God because he's the kind of God who commands us, not arbitrarily, willy-nilly, not just because I said so, but be for our good. So think about it this way. Just as ordered, peaceful homes would lead to the Israelites flourishing in the promised land, and not just individual families, but think about how the stability and flourishing of a whole society is based on homes that are healthy. So also we as the church, we're being prepared for the land of promise, right? New heavens and new earth. The day when Jesus returns and makes all things new. When our exile from this broken, just jacked up world is over and we're finally brought home. We're being discipled for that. So we, the church, we're the vanguard of the new creation. We've already been made new, right? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So it starts now in the church. We're the vanguard of the new creation. And so we should be a preview of those coming attractions of the new heavens and new earth. So the Christian home is called to embody that loving and honorable order. So can I appeal to you children and teens? Listen, your parents aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to be corny, and they're going to embarrass you at times. They're going to annoy you and frustrate you, and often it's going to be because they're right, and they love you, and they have more experience in life, and you might not see or appreciate it until years down the road. But often, it's also going to be because they're wrong. Or maybe they're in the wrong regarding how they speak to you, or maybe an attitude or a decision. Children, Please don't let the prince of the power of the air 
Don't let the darkness of this world encourage you to close off and shut out your parents. Do you know, and I, I can't speak for everyone, I know there's unique situations and, you know, also troubling situations, so we can't deal with every single um, potential scenario, but generally speaking, in the church, Christian parents, they fear losing access to your heart. Keeps them up at night. It causes their minds and hearts to race when they wake up in the morning. They pray for you. And I know that there are parents in this room who are now or have in the past fasted and prayed for wayward and rebellious children. Listen, rebellion and anarchy, I mean, not societal, but in the home against parents, it doesn't lead to anything good. Look at what Adam and Eve's rebellion did. They were God's children, right? He was their father. They didn't honor their father. They didn't obey their father. And this world broke. And so all the stuff that scares you and angers you and steals your peace and joy and life and love and safety and security, it all came in as a result of that disobedience and dishonor. Don't take your cues from the evil one who catalyzed that hostile takeover who made a garden into a wasteland. That's what the evil one does. That's the fruit of his efforts. But God made everything good, good, very good. And he's going to return us to a garden city. That's his goal. So don't believe the evil one when he shows mirages in the desert of his making. So rebelling against God and against parents will not lead to your happiness Rebelling against sin and the devil and the world in its fallenness and trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord and following his lead, that will lead to joy and peace and flourishing. So again, for children in the home, this looks one way. For adult children, it looks different, but still there's application, right, to honor our parents so, that's the first point. Second point, parents do not provoke, but teach and train. So, Paul addresses the fathers. It certainly, by application, extends to mothers. Maybe fathers, because provoking to anger is more prone, the fathers are more prone to this than the mothers. So, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke to anger. Other translations say, do not exasperate. It's another way of translating it. The parallel passage in Colossians 3 says, fathers, don't provoke or embitter your children lest they become discouraged. So P.T. O'Brien writes this, the apostle is ruling out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Pretty good summary of ways in which we can exasperate or provoke our kids to anger. So listen, one thing, if we just zoom out here, one thing that should be obvious, but perhaps isn't, that needs to be pointed out, God is against the abuse of power. 
He doesn't abuse his power. Think about the marriage section and the love of Christ. He used his power to lay his life down for his bride. Or Jesus in Mark 10 you know, is telling his disciples they wanted to be on his right and left and they wanted to be the greatest. And he says, you know what? In the world, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over, but it must not be so among you. And he calls them to serve. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how Jesus used his power, and he calls his people not to use theirs, to use or abuse, to provoke or exasperate, to threaten or to bully. So what are some ways that parents can exasperate or provoke children to anger? Russell Moore again here from that same book, A Storm-Tossed Family. Is that the title? (laughs) I think that's right. Um, A child who concludes that she cannot figure out what her parents expect is a child who will soon give up trying. A child who concludes that he can never meet his parents' expectations will also give up trying. There's a number of different ways that this can happen. If the expectations are a moving target, that can be exasperating. Or if there's impossible standards, I just can't ever please my my dad or my mom. Abuse of authority. There is a huge difference between authoritative parenting and authoritarian, overbearing authoritarian parenting. And we've got to guard against overbearing authoritarian parenting. You can actually fall off the horse on the other side too. You can fail to exercise authority. Passivity and permissive parenting isn't good or loving for the child either. So don't mistake lax parenting with love. Child-centered homes, you know, where the, the parent is always responding and not exercising any authority isn't healthy for the child. Sin that no one deals with is sin that everyone will deal with. So children need boundaries, discipline, training, and they need truth, which he's going to get to in a minute here, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you can have overly aggressive parenting, you can have overly passive parenting, and then there's that terrible combination, passive-aggressive parenting, that's like back off, back off, back off, just let them be, and then you get annoyed and boom! Explode. So listen, there's a massive difference between yelling at your child because he or she has dinged your pride or messed with your comfort or your plans and firmly addressing your child because you care about their well-being. You, You and I, we're on mission from God that has the best interest of our child in mind. Again, we're in the circle. God gives us the authority for a purpose, the good of our child. So parents, this is actually a call to discipline ourselves before we discipline our children in anger. We, as parents, are also called to bring them up in discipline and instruction. So we're called to be the primary disciplers in the lives of our kids. Wonderfully, that gets expanded in the context of the local church. And you could say it takes, you know, the church to raise a child. It's wonderful. They get extra, you know, aunties and uncles and cousins and, you know, grandparents in the Lord. And that's a huge blessing. But parents can't 
kind of farm out the responsibility. We need to take it seriously. So P.T. O'Brien summarizes it that way. He says, in the contrast to the norms of the day, in contrast to the norms of the day, Paul wants Christian fathers, and we could say mothers as well, to be gentle, patient educators of their children whose chief weapon is Christian instruction focused on loyalty to Christ as Lord. Christian fathers were to be different from those of their surrounding society. So bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Listen, parents, parenting is hard, right? There's a lot of pressure on us. It's easy to leave our kids on devices so that we can get our work done or get dinner ready or get a break. Okay, it's like a place for that. But we've got to make sure that we remember that our kids need us. So the world, the flesh, and the devil would be very happy to catechize your kids. Social media and those wretched algorithms would be happy to disciple and instruct them. They need you to love them, listen to them, spend time with them, pray with them, pray for them, play with them, teach them. And you know what? Sometimes, I don't know how, I think we can have ideas that can be so big, we don't even know how to start, and then we back away and nothing happens. Listen, sometimes the smallest things done regularly are the most effective. Just patterns and habits that in and of themselves, each little investment is small, but it can have a huge influence over time. So you don't, like, you want to point, like Deuteronomy 6 as a, as a pattern. So there is intentional time to instruct them in God's ways, and obviously bringing them to church and so forth is part of that. But then there's also the spontaneous times of, you know, pointing out God's creation and his glory all around and how he works in the world. So some of these intentional times, you know, family worship, if you want to call it that, reading the Bible together, praying together, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. It could be scary. What if they ask me a question? I don't know. Well, then just say, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me look into it. If you get desperate, you can email me. Um, No, but I'm seriously. Or you can go wrestle it with yourself and maybe I, I don't do this enough and you get some good answers to these questions, and then you can come back to your child and say, hey, I was thinking and praying about this, and, you know, I read this passage and this passage, and not only are you helping them with their question, but you're also modeling how a disciple wrestles with these things. You don't have to have all the answers. You can be honest about that. So listen, I, you know, over the years, we've given out different resources to parents, and, you know, there's different age ranges of families here, on the way out, on the table, there's the Door of Hope. It's the last day for, you know, the baby bottle benefit thing. Um, so there's the table there. There's going to be a bunch of books. I just figured, let's just make them available. Don't feel like you'd be like a vulture, you know. People are going to think you're, you know, selfish and vulture-like to hover around the table and pick up a book or two. Take advantage of it. If this prompts you to, I, I need to be more intentional. So there's some books about parenting, and there's some books that you could use with your kids. Just grab one and use it. Some of those books for kids, Bible books for kids, it takes you like two minutes, three minutes. Just do it before bed every night. Just start there. So parents, love God and love your kids and point them to God. So I think it's clear 
that we probably all just need to repent <laughs> um, and seek grace and help to walk this path that's laid out. You know, the theme of walking in a manner worthy is repeated in the book of Ephesians. So what does it look like to walk this path? I wanted to just, you know, boil it down to a few practical points here. So there's so many ways we could unpack this, right? But I'm going to give two practical thoughts and then wrap up with a final contextual point that's also application um, as we look at the context before and after our section. So here's a couple of simple hopefully repeatable but meaningful steps that we can take children and parents alike. First, let's normalize repentance in our homes. An apology, I'm sorry, should be heard frequently in our homes. I'm sorry should be normal. We are going to struggle with sin until the day we die. When you get people together in any sort of proximity, sparks inevitably fly, right? So repentance and faith are like breathing for a Christian. <sighs> Exhale, repent. Breathe in the grace of God and trust him for a new day, for a new hour. We need to be filled by, led by the Spirit so that repentance and faith are normal. It's almost like it can become the autonomic nervous system response. Breathing, right, is part of your autonomic nervous system. It's new man, new, new person in Christ. I think it could get so normal that it's like breathing. Repent and believe is the daily breathing of the Christian. Let's normalize that. Second, let's be honest. Let's pursue honesty with ourselves, with God, and with each other children and parents in the home. So oftentimes parents demand honesty of their kids, right? But then they don't practice it themselves. So if I've had a tough day, I come home empty and, you know, the kids are crazy and I'm barking orders and just leaking irritability all over the place. And, you know, if a child does something wrong and it's annoying or just like childlike and then I just yell. So what I'm communicating is that the real problem is with the child but I'm not being honest with myself or with them. They're paying for my bad day and the way that I'm responding to it. So put it together with the first little application, the let's normalize apology and repentance. Honey, I'm sorry. I had a hard day at work and I just took it out on you. You didn't make me mad. I had mad stewing just under the surface, and I let it break out when you didn't do this or you pushed back on that. So maybe we need to address that, but first I need to address me. Log and spec. Anybody guilty? I, my hand is not just, you know, raised to, like, encourage you to. I'm saying I'm guilty. Like, breaks my heart how many times I've been, like, angry dad. Beth and I are often reminded this quote from Amy Carmichael that, you know, is super helpful but also really convicting. A cup full of sweet water, fresh water, doesn't spill even a drop of bitter no matter how hard you jar it. So let's stop blaming our kids for our sin. That's not honest. And then kids. <laughs> You know, come on, I didn't just fall off the apple cart. You know, like I've got five kids. We've been around this merry-go-round a few times. 
And I did it too as a kid. Do you ever spin the story to avoid discipline or to get a sibling in trouble or to shift the blame? Or you resort to all or nothing statements. It's like a smoke screen. You always or she always or he always or you never or... Really? <laughs> really? No, instead, let's be honest and then repent. Let's own our sin. So listen, when sin and Satan rule, love and disunity get destroyed. But this, in Ephesians, is a call to live united in Christ and under Christ in our homes. So how in the world are we going to do that? Last point, application from the context. Remember that the headwaters of this section is Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. Then you're going to be able to do marriage. Then you're going to be able to do parenting and children-ing. Then you're going to be able to do employer-employee relationships. So think about it this way. The spirit in, filling us up, the armor on. Okay, so this section is between the filling of the spirit and the armor of God's spiritual warfare in chapter six. How about that for a really practical way to live tomorrow? Oh, spirit of God, please fill me. I'm filled up with this, that, and the other thing. Repent. Fill me up with your grace, your peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good fruit of the spirit. And then there's a battle. My battle's not, not with my child. My battle's not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I need the armor of God so that I can stand in his strength. So, we need to give our kids a fish, yes. You know, truth, raise them in God's ways. But we need to teach our kids to fish. We can't give our kids some vaccine against the virus of the world and sin. We need to teach them a way to walk. And the way to walk is in Christ, under Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and with the full armor on. So none of us feel like we've done as good a job as we'd like on this. Many of us probably have lots of regrets. I'm not good at this. But guess what? God is good at this. And he's with us. He is for us because of Jesus. And he wants to give us his spirit and give us his armor so that we can fight the good fight of the faith so that we are, as families, in Christ, under Christ, for his glory, the good of our homes, and even the good of our communities. God help us. Let's pray. Father, you are the perfect Father, the Lord Jesus, the perfect Son, and your Spirit is the perfect strength and power and help within us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Please give us grace, all, for living this out in our homes, in our families. In Jesus' name, amen.